Pulp Fiction covers themes that may not be suitable for all listeners. Episodes may feature true events tied into fictional stories. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Story 1 of Pulp Fiction, a podcast by Public. This is Salt Creek, Episode 2. In the bright light of the next morning, the two girls perched outside of their hostel on a low brick wall, waiting for their ride. Eliz was staring at a crack in the footpath, studying it. The longer she stared at it, the more she could imagine it suddenly growing, tearing through the earth and the concrete to swallow them both up. Lana was thinking about how much she wanted to go back to sleep. Hey, hello? Eliz? Is that you? Came a voice from the street. It was Roman, sitting in his car and calling out from the rolled-down window. Hi. Roman? She ventured. He gave her a nod and she continued. I'm Eliz. This is Lana. Lana uttered a shy hello with a small wave. Roman climbed down from the silver four-wheel drive. It was huge. Taller than both the girls and almost taller than Roman himself. It had roof racks, a bicycle rack. All the hallmarks of a man who spends a lot of time outdoors. He walked over to the girls, his hand outstretched. The voice was being silent now, strangely so. He shook both of their hands and with a powerful bend of his knees and a grunt, hoisted both of the backpacks up and over to the rear of the car. Lana climbed up into the back seat and Eliz climbed into the front. His car smelt strange, of stale air and something else, something earthy, like mushrooms. The man climbed into the driver's seat and gave the girls a grin. Ready to see Summer South Oz? He said, in an exaggerated Australian accent. The girls laughed politely. Oh God, please don't let the whole trip be like this, Lina thought. The drive itself wasn't too bad. Outside the windows, Eliz watched as the ever-changing South Australian countryside whizzed past the window. It went from the shady inner city, to leafy hills, to crossing the lush river at Murray Bridge, to the dusty red dirt and salt flats of the outback. Lana lazily snapped a few photos every now and then before slumping down across the back seat, contemplating how one place could have so many different environments. Roman was quiet. Aside from the polite small talk at the start, he seemed mainly occupied with driving. But inside his head, a loud conversation was taking place. Look at the dark one. Look at her face. Look at those cheekbones, high and sharp. Look at her lips. What do you want to do to those lips, Roman? The voice would taunt. Nothing. She she seems nice. If anything, I would, I would kiss her, I guess, he thought, answering the voice as best as he could. 
You'd rip those fucking lips off with your fingertips. I want to rip those lips off and put them over mine. Do it yourself, lip augmentation. You want to do that, Roman? The voice would ask. No. No, that's not right. Roman responded. What about that body? Look at her body, Roman. Think about how warm it is. How it is on the inside. The wet. The dark. Think about what you do inside. Having had enough, Roman turned up the volume on the radio in an attempt to drown out the voice. It didn't work. Are you scared, Roman? Are you fucking scared? You're nothing but a pussy. Pussy, pussy, pussy. Think about that pussy. If you do this for me, you'll have all the pussy you want. Excuse me, Roman? Liz beside him asked, interrupting the answer he was trying to push back onto the voice. Yes, honey, cunt. The voice whispered, just behind his ear. Yeah, uh, yeah, he said, stumbling over his words. Is everything okay? He noticed a slight quiver in his voice, and worried whether he'd been responding to the voice aloud. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. How, how long till we arrive? I, I really need to use the bathroom. Eliz responded. She wants to go and play with her pussy without you, the voice jibed. Uh, he said, contemplating. About ten minutes. Is that okay? I can pull over now if you're busting. No. No, I can wait, she responded. In the back seat, Lana began to stir. We there yet? she asked. Almost, said Roman. As he turned off the main road into the Kurong National Park, Eliz began to contemplate how remote they were. She noticed the trees and the brush of the bush around her began to thin as they entered the sand track to the Salt Creek camping site. Is this, is it uh, legal to camp here? She asked. Yep, responded Roman, quickly and quietly. It's a national park. Ah, okay. I don't, I don't want to get into any trouble, Elise said. The drive got bumpier as they went on, the car cruising over the peaks of the sand dunes with ease. The dunes weren't particularly tall, more like undulating waves of sand with crests of green foliage, salt bush and spin effects. Aside from the group of men walking back towards the road, fishing rods and buckets in hand, it was deserted. Here we are muttered Roman, as he pulled the car in between two of the larger dunes in the area. The miniature valley was just wide enough to fit a couple of tents comfortably with the peaks providing cover from the wind. At the far end, opposite from where Roman had pulled up, the girls could see the waves crashing onto the pristine beach. They quickly got out of the car and stretched relishing the crisp, salty air and feeling their muscles loosen, tired and contracted after sitting for hours in the car. Is there a toilet somewhere close? asked Eliz, who was really busting to go for a pee. You can piss right here, on my face, said the voice, just behind Roman's ear. Since arriving it seemed to be getting louder, each word a command and then an echo. His chest tightened. 
Um, no, sorry, I, I forgot to mention that this isn't a camping ground with facilities. No plumbing, nor showers, or, or anything like that, really. He started to walk around to the back of the four-wheel drive, opened the boot and pulled out a shovel and a roll of toilet paper. This is what we call <laughs> going bush in Australia, he said, letting a little chuckle escape his lips. Eliza's cheeks flushed with embarrassment. She grabbed the items from Roman and began walking into the dunes. Go on, follow her, do it. Grab the shovel and hit her while she's pissing, screeched the voice. He shook his head. Uh, is there anything I can do to um help set up? Asked Lana from behind, startling him. The lines between what was happening in his head and what was happening in reality were beginning to blur. You can bend over and let me fuck you, said the voice. Um, Roman started. Just grab the things out of the car. We'll set up here, out of the wind. I brought two tents. I, I wasn't really sure if you girls would have one or not, he responded. Uh, no, no, we don't have one. Thank, thank you for that. Thanks for everything, really. We really do appreciate it, said Lana smiling at Roman. Pull the teeth out, the teeth rip them out, rip them out. with your fingers, the voice urged. Roman was getting tired of the voice's constant commentary. No problem, really, he said to Lana. Could you give me a hand setting up? The pair began setting up in silence. Two easy set tents, a table and chairs, and a camp stove. He had just lugged an esky and a few bottles of wine from the boot when an ear-piercing scream rang out over the dunes. A Liz. Roman wasn't sure whether it was in his head, but seeing Lana bolt in the direction of the scream showed him it was real, and he quickly followed, sprinting after her. Eventually they came upon a Liz, squatted and still peeing. Her face was lily white and her eyes were wide. In front of her, coiled and ready to strike, was a king brown snake, more than two metres in length. Its head was completely flattened and it was making slight warning strikes, bopping its head towards her legs like it was practising a shot. Just as it arched back again, Broman jumped forward, grabbed the shovel and brought it down hard on the snake's head. Eliz squeaked and fell back into the puddle of her own urine. Behind Roman, Lana moved forward towards the snake. Its head was clearly separated from its body, but that didn't stop it from thrashing around as each of its nerves began to die. Its mouth was opening and closing, gasping like a fish out of water, but much more menacing. Its beady black eyes stared. Now get the girls, get the chop, girls. Their, heads chop their heads off, see if they squirm too, the voice whispered behind Roman's ear. No, he pushed back onto the voice. No. Not yet. Not yet. The voice retorted. It's dead, right? asked Lana. Her already paled skin had turned a shade lighter, and her eyes were wide, childlike. No. Roman stopped, catching himself before answering the voice out loud. I mean, yes, yeah, you cut off the snake's head. That pretty much guarantees it will die. He let out a little laugh, then chastised himself for sounding crazy. 
Elise stood up and shuffled her denim shorts back on. She looked just as scared as Lana, but her cheeks were flushed, rosy with embarrassment. Lana rushed over to Elise. Is everything okay? It didn't hit you, did it? No bites? She asked. No, it had just slithered out when I started peeing. I panicked. I couldn't get up. But it didn't get me. It It had just started doing that thing dance when when you arrived she said a few tears rolling down her face she turned to roman thanks you you really saved me there she opened her arms and gave him a hug yeah yeah yeah. for now the voice interjected roman looked uncomfortable but she felt his face drop to her shoulder and heard the sharp sound of him inhaling sniffing her dark hair no worries he said pulling out of the hug and giving her a smile. Let's get you cleaned up, and I don't know about you two, but uh, I could use a drink. The group walked back to the camping site in silence. Elise, still in shock, thought about what would have happened if the snake had managed to bite her. She pictured herself dying out here, the middle of nowhere, where even if they could contact help, there was no guarantee it would arrive in time. Lana pictured herself as the saviour, picking up a stick and smacking the snake like a baseball, it flying high over the dunes and landing somewhere unseen, but dead. She then pictured herself getting the same hug that Roman did. A spark of jealousy flew through her mind, but she quickly quashed it. This wasn't the time for thoughts like that. They got back to the site and Elise disappeared into one of the tents with her backpack. Emerging a few moments later in just a black bikini and carrying a plastic bag, which Roman assumed carried her urine-soaked shorts. I'm just going down to the beach to rinse off, she turned to Roman. There's nothing I need to be careful of down there, right? Just me, just me, just me, the voice whispered. No, he chuckled. There's no water snakes. Just don't go too deep. There can be some strong currents when the waves are this big. Elise nodded and began walking towards the beach. Lana joined her, carrying a bottle of red wine. The pair made most of their walk in silence, taking squeaks from the bottle every now and then. While the girls swam, Roman sat, staring absentmindedly in their direction. The voice was becoming stronger now, and he was finding it hard to push back on it. Earlier he'd been able to quiet it somewhat, but now it seemed as though it was gaining more and more control over him. He lifted a glass of red wine to his lips. Put it down, put it down, the voice commanded. No, he countered in his head. Now, now, now. His hand jerked and the wine, glass and all, splattered into the sand, dying at dark red. Now will you listen to me, Roman? Asked the voice, teasing him. No, he countered again. He began to feel his hand tingling, then his left leg, then his whole side began to tingle. He felt himself, the part in control being pushed to the side and his body staggered out of the chair. He became a lighthouse, a vessel that he could see out of, but not control. And he watched himself stagger, his left leg trying to move and right leg dragging behind him to where the wine glass lay. 
He watched his shaking hand reach down as it picked up the glass and his body staggered back to the table. He watched as his own hand, through no control of his own, smashed the glass on the edge of the table, leaving shards of glass littering the sand in a single piece, a sharpened stem in his hand, remaining. He felt his right side tingle as panic began to set in, and he realised what the voice was planning on doing to him, and managed to regain control just as his left arm began to swing towards his right, the sharpened stem ready to pierce the soft skin of his wrist. He caught it, just in time. For a moment he struggled with his own left hand, wanting to step out of his body to realise how peculiar it must have looked to see a man grappling with himself. But he couldn't. His left arm was less wobbly now and he seemed to be gaining strength, dexterity, and his right arm seemed to be losing ground. Suddenly, his left leg jerked, toppling him to the ground. The wine chard went flying over the dune and disappeared into the sand. Everything was still. Laying in the sand, he slowly felt the feeling returning to his left side. It was a strange feeling. An intense tingle, pins and needles, like all the nerves were rapidly growing back at once. Remember, remember, I can take control at any time, said the voice. It's in your best interest we work as a team. To be continued. Thanks for listening. For more stories, visit www.thepublicbook.com or you can follow me on Twitter if you want. My handle is at DRopeKeyAuthor. Bye.